You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 75 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I'm joined by my good friend and alchemist, Salasios. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, I'm sure you'll recognize his name. Because he has appeared many times, this being his fifth appearance, no less. Previously, he has featured in episode 24, The Alchemical Quest, episode 34, Alchemy Congress 2015, episode 39, Gold and Silver, and last and most recent in episode 58, The Colors of Alchemy. And as you can hear from the titles of all the episodes Salasius appears in, we often talk about alchemy. And this episode will be no different but we do have a very special episode for you all. Because we are going to focus on the Emerald Tablet, also known as the Smaragdin Table or Tabula Smaragdina. This text is a compact and cryptic piece of Hermetica, reputed to contain the secrets of the Prima Materia and its transmutation. It was a highly regarded text by the European alchemists, and serves as the foundation of their art and its hermetic tradition. And we are going to go through each line of the Emerald Tablet and discuss it. And you will enjoy this even more if you have the actual text in front of you when you're listening, which is why I've posted it in full in the program notes. But before we get going, I want to pleasure your ears with a reading of the Emerald Tablet by the channeled spirit of Vlad III. It is true, without untruth. Certain and most true. That which is below is like that which is on high. And that which is on high is like that which is below. By these things are made the miracles of one thing. And as all things are and come from one, by the mediation of one, so all things are born from this unique thing by adaptation. The sun is the father and the moon the mother. The wind carries it in its The earth is its nourisher and its receptacle. The father of all the theremy of the universal world is here. 
its force or power remains entire if it is converted into earth. You separate the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, gently with great industry. It climbs from the earth and descends from the sky and receives the force of things superior and things inferior. You will have by this way the glory of the world and all obscurity will flee from you. It is the power, strong with all power, for it will defeat every subtle thing and penetrate every solid thing. In this way, the world was created. From it are born wonderful adaptations of which the way here is given. That is why I have been called Hermes Trismegistus, having the three parts of the universal philosophy. This that I have called the solar work is complete. So thanks for being on the podcast once again. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation, Alex. And, and remind the listeners, if they haven't heard you before, who you are. Uh, yes, I am Salasius, um, member of the Alchemy Forum, and um, now a published published writer. And we are going to discuss the Emerald Tablet, which which is an important uh, thing in alchemy. And so, for people who don't know, what's the Emerald Tablet? Yes, um, the Emerald Tablet is at first uh, also called uh, the Verba Secretorum Hermetis, which is the secret uh, hermetical uh, verb or words. And uh, at first it, it is a text, um, but it's not just a simple text. It's a locked one, of course, uh, because it's uh, hermetical with uh, multiple levels of understanding and readings. And it is uh, alchemical, hermetical, spiritual, philosophical text, um, which is um, a kind of a summary of the creation of the universe with uh, the presentation of uh, big archetypes and big steps of this creation. And it points out something very special in its meaning, 
with kind of alchemical vision of the world and uh, it points out um, the life force especially also some in some phrases in it um, the emerald tablet as a text is kind of a credo or something uh, that makes a summary of different beliefs and visions and uh, understandings of the world of alchemy of spirituality and uh, even more than that it's uh, pointing the, the the ultimate gold goal um, of creation and probably of alchemy also if we take it uh, from the alchemical uh, meaning um, so it's uh, also kind of a resume, a practical resume of uh, how to apply these very big laws um, uh, with manifestation and cycle and all this stuff that we will see in detail uh, later in this podcast in the laboratory. And uh, it's an explanation also of the practical process of how it occurs in nature um, and also how it occurs inside us. And who wrote the Emerald Tablet? I mean, they claim it was Hermes, but Hermes is a kind of character, kind of like Jesus. You, you can't really say he did exist or he didn't exist. We, we don't know about Hermes if he's just a, a, an archetype of something or a, a myth, but... Uh, regardless somebody had to write it yes but actually we have no historical or archaeological proofs that someone especially wrote it so we can't be sure even of the origins of this text uh, some people emitted the hypothesis that it could come from China or Asia um, in a very um, medieval time and before even um, antiquity, sorry. Uh, but uh, we have no proofs about all this. So it's it, alchemists will see it from a legend point of view or a mythical point of view because actually it is true in some ways that the spirit or Hermes, the god Mercury, maybe give his inspiration to the person that uh, wrote it down, but um, we don't know who it is. In fact, we it's more mysterious than uh, the Bible or any other religious text. It's completely unknown and we don't even know how old it is. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we have uh, the most ancient version of this emerald tablet is in appendix in the treacheries that was probably composed in the sixth century and in the book of the secret of the creation um, and it was and we have a, a copy of it from uh, 825 so the text is is presented as a traduction from Greek from Apollonius, Apollonius of Tiana and there is a rab uh, name Balinus and uh, the hypothesis comes from uh, an 
a Greek uh, text, maybe of the fourth century, uh, could be more possible, even if there is no uh, text that was found. Maybe it was lost, or maybe it was just an oral tradition. Um, but we really don't have uh, really uh, trustful clues about it. Um, so at first it was an Arab text, so to speak, and uh, maybe we can imagine that uh, even before Greece it could have been taken from Egyptians and uh, maybe even before we know that there was alchemy and uh, philosophy, uh, hermetical philosophy in uh, summer or uh, Akkadian um, religions and uh, practices of chemistry and all stuff. So maybe it could come from this place also, like even like the Bible in a way. There is a theory that uh, um, the emerald tablet was given by the Pharaoh to Moses and then Moses uh, took it with him and it's in fact the, the tablets he received, you know, the famous Ten Commandments he received from God is in fact the emerald tablet, but he, uh, you know, in the Bible they changed a few things. Uh, uh, so there is that theory as well. Mm, yes. And um, in some yogic texts, uh, you can imagine, they, they make an image of this uh, reception of the tablets from God, uh, saying that every time that someone goes on the mountain, uh, there is a kind of rising of Kundalini, for example, and the mountain is the highest spiritual place. So it's a spiritual vision of the process. So again, it could be a divine inspiration that uh, created these tablets. And after that, some other persons uh, could imagine that uh, the gods that created uh, Humanity uh, could be aliens, and uh, the mountains were uh, some kind of uh, privileged places in order to to meet them and to have some communications or to receive things. Uh, in any cases, it's uh, there's a lot of legends and myth and histories and stories about it. And one legend is that it was actually carved in a green emerald which would be very expensive in, in the ancient times, even today, I imagine. Yes, yes. And it would be very difficult in order to engrave something in such a stone in order to uh, not to break it. Um, <clears throat> there's always in, in every rock or stone a, um, a teeny a failure or a crack that is not yet manifested, but uh, with the shocks it can break very, very easily. Um, but um, <clears throat> maybe it's not a co very common uh, emerald. And, uh, maybe there is some tricks behind it and some artistic or uh, alchemistic uh, processes that uh, can create something like that, that looks like emerald. I don't remember the source now, but I remember reading somewhere that uh, back in the day when Alexander the Great uh, ruled Egypt and he constructed a famous library in Alexandria, 
he actually had the emerald tablet on display there but i, I don't know if that's also <laughs> probably a legend who knows yeah i heard also that uh, alexander the great found the great uh, the the emerald tablet in the great pyramid of giza so <laughs> a lot of things uh, around it but no certainties But you know, like the ancient writers and alchemists, you know, they they've have made many different versions of this uh, emerald tablet text. Uh, can you speak a bit about that? Um, it's mostly about um, different commentaries about the text. But uh, for example, we we have some Arab translation, probably or first writings of the. Of the emerald tablet, with, which was made by Jaber ibn Ayan, and after that we have some Latin translations that changes a bit uh, the text and the meaning, because in this emerald tablet text, a simple word word can change uh, something. And Isaac Newton made translation. Crixman also Sigismund Backstrom, which was an alchemist. Uh, like Newton, also uh, Blavatsky, Fulcanelli, Idris Shah, and we have some also, maybe some Chinese original or something, but uh, it's not very sure. So everyone made his own version and probably made some uh, uh, changes. Uh, just a word, like I said, can change a lot of things. So depending of your vision of the world, you will see the words differently. We are going to analyze the text later, but why did you why did you suggest that we would use the translation by Fulcanelli? Well, my my vision is that it's natural born alchemist. So in a way it could be a, a, a better uh, idea to take Uh, translation from Fulcanelli, which is closer from from a, a more uh, I don't know fluent, uh, energetically speaking, fluent uh, version. Um, it looks more more fluid, more uh, alive than certain versions. That's why I thought that uh, this could be a, a good emerald tablet to, to talk about so um and people who might not have heard about the emerald tablet and haven't heard about this text they probably still recognize that famous phrase as above so below which is the is the the source where that comes from yes absolutely um it's generally the the very first text the, the very verse, first phrases that uh, someone can just uh, hear about it and it's kind of also a very common phrase because it's in the Kibalion and uh, it's also a kind of analogical um, vision of the world and uh, someone can grasp it very easily. But why did they, why is it like the, the green, like emerald tablet? I mean, You would imagine that if somebody would write, carve something important, they would make it like, especially if it's alchemical, you know, they would make a, 
it's not called the gold tablet, you know, it's the emerald. So why would you think they cho- chose to call it that or use that material? Yeah, that's right. Um, it could have been the, the gold tablet or the philosopher's stone tablet, but it's uh, the green and emerald green tablet. Um, from, from a symbolical point of view and uh, out of myth and uh, legends, we could say that life force is green and uh, it's the symbol of immaturity or youth and crudity. So it's full potential in a way, but not yet determined or oriented to something special like um, vegetable or uh, animal or human. It's not yet specified. It's just raw life force. And in a way, it's the text by itself speaks about this raw life force that could be seen as a green, uh, greenness. But um, greenness is also a perfect balance and um, a zero point in the spectrum of the rainbow. You have on one side the you have on one side the um, masculine colors and on the other side the feminine colors or uh, feminine colors like uh, blue and uh, violet for example and uh, on the masculine side red orange and yellow and uh, in between there is this greenness that makes the perfect balance and in a way life is seeking equilibrium in order to to be perfectly um uh, functional and uh, adapted to to the world in in which we are living in. Um, why exactly this greenness? Maybe because also uh, at first there was something special with the the myth and the legend of Venus or the force of this goddess, which is seen as the morning star and also the beginning, the beginning of something. And we can relate it to, to, to the life force also that creates nature and uh, the, it, it is the goddess of nature. And after that, we had some links with the stone coming from the, the forehead of Lucifer and he lost it and was uh, transformed as a grail and used in order to to get the blood of the Christ. But um, it is a kind of allegory of the Philosopher's Stone and raw life force in perfectly incarnated inside this world and then transmuted and raised above the just the raw material world and uh, being something spiritual. Um, in alchemy, this greenness can be seen as the alkahest, uh, which is a kind of double mercury, able to give life, but also to give death. And uh, actually, it is the same process. It is just transformation and transmutation. And in order to give a superior life to something, you need to kill it at first. So. It's very paradoxical, but you have to kill something a lot in order to give it 
more and more life when it's uh, perfectly stabilized in a way. So should we uh, go through the tablet text and uh, try to see what they're talking about? And uh, I was thinking that I'll I'll read uh, a line and then you uh, say what you think about it. Yes. I mean, the audience heard the the whole text read aloud in the beginning of this episode, but it's good to remind them, so I'll I'll just read one line at a time. Uh, So we start with the first one, which is, uh, I think, the longest. It is true without untruth, certain and most true, that that which is below is like that which is on high, and that which is on high is like that which is below. By these things are made the miracles of one thing. Yes, at first we need to know that there is different ways to read uh, the Emerald Tablet and all these different uh, visions on this text like practical and general alchemy, spiritual vision of the creation or of the universe or vision of the universe, the life force only, uh, creation of the Philosopher's Stone especially, or internal alchemy, they all crisscross in the text, and there is several levels in the reading. So I would try to make it uh, simple, and um, in this very first phrase, which is uh, quite long, uh, we can see that at first it's stressed that it's completely truth and we generally never cross uh, text stressing as much uh, that it is so true and uh, we could ask why why is it so true how can they say that and uh, we could imagine that there is a revelation behind it a real experience something that is undeniable and they are stretching stretch stressing so much about this reality, about this truth, that it's um, something they are just certain about it. It's not just belief or blind faith, it's certainty. So this text is probably based on something like spiritual revelation or practical experience. confirming what they are about to tell us. So that which is below is like that which is on high. So they are telling us that it's not it's not exactly the same, of course, because uh, there is, for example, no trees on the moon, but uh, we can see that um, the, the below and the on high is for example, to be understand on the spiritual or level or philosophical level, which means that which is below is, for example, um, the material world with all the kind of life that exists and uh, processes and manifestations and uh, different kind of laws like, for example, gravity or uh, volatility and transformation and transmutation. And this is, if these laws exist above, they have to be reflected and incarnated in, in the below. And exactly the same 
for the below and on the on high. So they say after that that hand that which is on high is like that which is below. So of course it's completely logical because otherwise the universe could not be only one. And they are telling us after that that by these things are made the miracles of one thing. So we are inside the miracles of one thing. And it's we have to to ask the question what is this one thing? And this one thing is actually not the one with the big O at the beginning, but the one thing is the universe. The one thing is um, the multiplicity of life for forms in this universe. So duality of the on high and on the below is one thing and is making the, the whole universe from the very subtle to the very dense. Also, another thing I like to add to this beginning phrase is that I think it's interesting that you can find this uh, part, this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, in like uh, said in, in the courtrooms, especially in America, and also in the Hippocratic Oath and, and all over the place. So it's, and you know, if the Emerald Tablet, as they say, is, is quite old, then it, it could be the seed of this concept as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's very funny. Okay, so the next line is... Uh, and as all things are and come from one, by the meditation of one, so all things are born from this unique thing by adaption. So here they are clear, clearly stating that there is only one source from for the whole universe. So it is a monotheist text. So maybe we could have some clues about or ideas about uh, the the age from where it comes, but uh, we don't exactly know. So it's a monotheist text, and uh, we could imagine that they they are stating this at the very beginning of the Emerald Tablet because it's something extremely important at that time. And extremely important in order to explain the rest of the text. So everything comes from one, and the one, by its, some say, mediation or meditation, depends, but it's, it makes sense. Yeah, I think I said meditation, it actually says mediation. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it works, actually. <laughs> so... Um, if you made a, a translation of it, uh, I, I guess it could be very interesting also, you know. So, um, by the mediation of one, which is probably uh, the first emanation from the one, which is the verb and which is the mercury, by his mediation, the one creates the first chaos, and the chaos is all things uh, that are born from this unique thing by adaptation. And the unique thing uh, could be seen here as the one as non-existent uh, source, like God or life source. And 
by adaptation, which means transmutations and transformations of matters. So there is a raw matter at the first of the at the first emanation of the universe, which is a materia prima, and uh, also the prima materia of everything that exists. And uh, we can also imagine that they had some ideas about the fact that all matters comes come from only one source because they knew already that all matters are composed of the same exact principles. Um, if you decompose alchemically a metal, you will get exactly the same thing. If you decompose a plant alchemically, you will get the same salt, the same uh, sulfur, the same alkali, the same volatile salts, and the same uh, phlegm or mercury, etc. So they knew that all flags, all phlegms, uh, were only one phlegm, and all sulfurs, depending uh, of the source of or the quality of the sulfur, um, were only just one sulfur, and coming from this first emanation of of the one, as they call it. And they dare call uh, alchemy pseudoscience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, ne the next line is, now it's starting to sound like a recipe, so now it can, for people, it can, you know, if you read it, the Emerald Tablet for the first time, it, now it can start sounding really cryptic. And uh, But the first line is not that cryptic, but what follows. But anyway, here it goes. Uh, the sun is the father and the moon the mother. Absolutely. It's a very short phrase, but it's... Uh, you, you, you know, you can write a book about this, just uh, one phrase. It's so, so dense. So here we are already on, like the Bible would say, um, the light and the light and the darkness or night and day and the first prime duality of the world. So it's polarity. It's polarity. It's a row sulfur force and a kind of mercurial force which is also raw but uh, very high in the sky and it's not speaking about the center of the earth or or the ocean or the mountains no or volcanoes they are speaking about stars and planets and it's the sun and the moon so they are speaking about something on the horn high at first. So we can imagine that we will take the rungs a bit below and after the, the other one, which is again below on the ladder of uh, polarity. So here we are on or kind of horizontal polarity, which is on the horn high. And the father, the father is a son and the moon the mother, but we can ask of what? Uh, of what? What is this, um, the creation of uh, this son and of this moon? Why are they father and mother? So there is a creation already. There is something coming out of them together. So um, we can imagine that if we can take it alchemically, it's a stone maybe, or maybe it's you and me and everything, the universe, the matter, life force, 
Spiritus Mundi. Um, actually, it's depending on the vision that we apply to this to this text and to this phrase, for example, we can be in the recipe or we can be just in the philosopher, philosophical concepts and principles and imagine that actually they are the father and the moon, uh, the father and the mother of everything, everything that exists, of what is uh, manifested. And then it continues with... Uh, even more cryptic, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the wind carries it in its stomach. The earth is its nourisher and its receptacle. So, the wind carries it in its in its stomach, and sometimes they say it's in its belly. Um, it makes a difference because, for example, in Michael Meyer, you can see a small baby in the belly or of of the element hair god. And it's more like a pregnant pregnant mother than just a, a child being digested because um, this baby is not uh, taken in the stomach of Saturn, for example. It's not being digested. Uh, it's in the womb, in my opinion. You, you can see it as a womb. Um, so the wind is Mercury in the philosophical, hermetical term, and what is carried in the wind, it can be like volatility, it, the principle of lightness, of subtility, of the Hon Hai. And sometimes you can also interpret it as life force. What is inside the belly of the wind, for example, equilibrium, life, uh, what is nourished by the father and the mother. So here, of course, like you said, it's cryptic. And maybe it's cryptic because some alchemists said, well, during the equinox, the father and the mother are just in perfect equilibrium and they are giving some some of their um, particularities during the night and everything just creates something in the wind. So you get uh, a spirit of dew that is more complete and more equilibrated and uh, having more life force during this period of time, which is spring and autumn. And the earth is its nourisher and its receptacle is saying that uh, below is also carrying uh, it, this it, into brackets, uh, in its womb or belly or stomach. But it's nourishing it also. But uh, so if the earth is nourishing this thing in its belly, well, it means that it's taking place inside the wind. So the wind carries it back down inside the earth. And the earth is making it like stronger or different and maybe more material uh, than it was before because uh, it was at first a mercury and then this this force or, or this something 
will be a bit more nourished and um, fixed and more solid. Um, so here we already have the sun, the moon, the wind and the earth. And we can see it at the fire, air, water and earth, element earth. Uh, and as the sun and the moon are the father, the wind is, can be a, a, an intermediary a place and the earth is a receptacle. Um, we can imagine that it's a kind of quintessence, quintessence that is uh, created, then bring back um, to the same kind of level that it was before its creation, because as, as above, so below. So it, it will take the ladder and get manifested uh, as it is by the four elements down here on the below, just like the Philosopher's Stone, for example. And just like in, in the Bible, you have the Jacob's Ladder where the angels descend and ascend. Yes, and it's the same image that is taken in the Mutus Liber at the beginning and at the end of uh, this very special book. You could also say maybe, you know, when you look at the, our body, isn't the stomach the earth? Um, we could more imagine that the, the stomach is very acidic and destructive. And we could imagine that the, the stomach is, of course, receptacle in its um, kind of feminine nature, but in its... Uh, masculine nature, it's uh, very destructive and uh, very fiery. No, because the, the reason I, I said that was because, you know, uh, what you plant in the earth will grow and, you know, what you put in your stomach does affect your whole... Uh, I mean, the stomach is the engine of the body, so what you put into it will affect your whole body. That's why I was thinking maybe, you know, when they say the wind carries it in its stomach, the earth is its nourisher, maybe... You know, you could also say the wind carries it in its earth. You know, absolutely, yes, yes. We could imagine imagine that. Uh, you can write a whole book about the Emerald Tablets because it's so so. The text is so short, but it's so vast, and there is genius behind this text. It's amazing. And the next line goes. Uh, the father of all the Telemi of the universal world is here. Yes. So here the father is maybe not the father, the same father that we met before as a son, but the seed or the creator of the son that is manifesting its himself through all the Telemi, which is the four elements of the universal world, and it's uh, being incarnated down here. Um, so it's this quintessences, which is the equilib perfect equilibrium between the four elements that is being incarnated and solidified in, in this world. Um, it is a kind of reflection of the one thing through the four elements, through the above and the below, that is manifesting himself. So in a way we could here understand that the whole creation has just one goal, it's to manifest the one thing 
as material thing and and the universe is just a mean to uh, to this special particular end and then it goes its force or power remains entire if it is converted into earth and it also mentions earth there again absolutely so here earth is not exactly the same idea as uh, as a receptacle it's more like a kind of materiality a crystallization so it's force so the force of the one uh, or its power remains completely entire and untouched and universal non-oriented non-specified even we could we could add the word even if it is converted into a solid matter or a crystal um so alchemically speaking we have here the power of the divine uh converted into a, just a philosopher's stone and uh, they are telling us that this it has the same untouched a complete power that it has before manifestation it can have it exactly as pure as powerful inside manifestation and uh, being um completely reflected in this world because the above on high is completely is completed and brought here with us um in into earth and and then it closes the um, the cycle of the creation uh because right now because the philosopher's stone the cycle is complete and the last piece or of the puzzle of the universe is put it into place and the whole creation is is done and then the next line it mentions earth once again so it makes it even more confusing when you try to understand this if 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 you know a beginner starts reading the emerald tablet and trying to understand alchemy and the line goes you separate the earth from the fire the subtle from the gross gently with great industry here we are especially in the alchemical process and you separate the earth from the fire so you separate the earth which means the magnetic force and fix from the volatile and the the masculine or electric force so you make duality first and uh, you you just manifest your sun and your moon or your sulfur and your mercury and the subtle from the gross so what is extremely volatile from what is extremely fixed and with no violence and uh, a great industry as i say so it means that it requires skill and a kind of a knack you you need to know how to do it gently 
and um, so it is the first duality separation uh, in order to find this quintessence and this untouched power you need first to open or to crack the matter uh, into into and into horizontal thing and to vertical thing so you recreate your on high and your above and your medium uh, plane of equilibrium and but it says you know like if it is converted into earth and then right after that it says separate the earth from the fire so why convert it into earth and then separate it or are they talking about different things uh, yes they are talking talking about a different kind of earth here um, when they say if it is converted into earth uh, they were meaning saying that it's converted down here but in this down here you need you need to to clean it and to make it appear in a way so if you are in the process of of creating this or seeking this power or this force uh, you need to separate the element earth from the element fire and all these elements are converted also into earth in a way so you need to decompose earth and it's exactly here the first uh, visita uh, of the vitriolum uh, visita interiora terrae at first you need to visit the interior of the earth and in order to visit the interior of the earth you need to separate elements so you need to to break down the matter um, in order to find uh, the hidden stone which is the true um, the true um, medica medication or the true um, philosophy or truth um, in an absolute uh, absolute way of course and then the next line, uh, it goes, it climbs from the earth and descends from the sky and receives the force of things superior and things inferior. Yes, here we are a bit less in the alchemical process uh, because it seems to be a bit more like f uh, natural philosophy, um, observing the movement of the cycle of nature, for example, like the sap in the trees uh, climbing from the earth, uh, which means that they were before in the roots of the trees and ascending up inside the branches and going to the sky in order to receive the force from the sky. But actually this um, example is uh, absolutely universal and whatever uh, having life force is inside the flux of of up and down and this cycle makes the force of the up and down to communicate and to being incarnated into earth again in this middle world so to speak and it's a different earth again or yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a kind of different earth because here we are not in the in the so to speak solidification of things, but we are in the material world 
And it's not the element Earth by itself. It's not philosophically speaking about Earth element. It's um, climbing from the, the below and ascending up on the on high, so to speak. You know, they say Hermes is like a, a trickster god in uh, in mytho- mythology. And maybe that's because he like mentions Earth four times in a row and means completely four different things. <laughs> yeah, completely. And um, sometimes alchemists also call the Earth uh, a volatile salt because it's a kind of Earth uh, compared to the very volatile spirit. So you have different kind of earth, you have different kind of volatility, and you have different kind of sulfur because it can be ascending up to the sky and it can remain fixed. Uh, so sulfur is not always sulfur, and mercury not always mercury, and earth not always earth, and uh, the same for all principles and elements. So, so it can be, yes, very complicated. And um, because it climbs from the earth and descends from the sky, it receives the force of things superior and things inferior. So here again, we are in a duality, which is vertical. And it seems that the, the forces, the force is one and is in the superior and the inferior. And it seems that on the superior, in the sky, there are things having force, and in the inferior, there are things having force also, giving to this thing, climbing and fluxing up and down, their particularity and forces. So they make it complete. But what ascends and descends could be considered as a mercury. So this mercury will, will receive um, some kind of superior and inferior qualities that could be sulfur and salts. And we can imagine that uh, this mercury will gather some, some salts and sulfur on the above and salts and sulfur on the below because as above, so below. And in order to make it complete, the mercury will get it in, in his belly again. It's kind of the wind uh, that we saw previously. Uh, it will put into his stomach these forces and uh, which are principles uh, of life force that is sulfur and mercury or sulfur and volatile salt, for example. And uh, this mercury will bring them down and bring up what is down. So there is continuously an exchange through this mediator and adaptator also, like the first adaptation in uh, the beginning of this Emerald Tablet text. Uh, There is an exchange between the on high and the below and an exchange between the elements, but it's it has to be done in a special order. Um, again, the Emerald Tablet is telling us that there is an on high and below, and it seems to be extremely, extremely important for them. 
uh, of course, the writer or philosopher that composed this text. And it seems to be like a, a major pillar or uh, is pointing the axis mundi. And uh, the idea of life is linked to superior and inferior and that we, we should not reject one uh, to the profit of another because they both are part of the one thing and the same thing and coming from the same source. Um, but in this creation, even if everything is one, nothing is static and um, everything needs to exchange and to transform. That's it. And then the next line is one I personally like a lot. I don't know why, but I just like the way it sounds. You will have by this way the glory of the world and all obscurity will flee from you. Yeah. So it means that you are part of the process and you will receive something special if ever you apply these lines like... uh, if you understand exactly what the text is about, maybe if it is an alchemical text, uh, like 100% text, alchemical text, it speaks about the Philosopher's Stone, which is the power of the one manifested down here has a kind of very special matter. And if ever you you apply the recipe, so to speak, or the principles that are stated here, like if you can catch exactly what ascends and what descends and what is exactly receiving the things from the superior and the inferior, maybe you will have by this way the glory of the world, which is the highest thing that could be manifested. And thus... All obscurity, but what kind of obscurity? What is it? I think that the obscurity that is pointed out here is just ignorance. Ignorance and, like Buddha would say, it's desire. The root of all problems and sufferings, uh, ignorance and desire. And it will free from you. So it means that Right now, you reader, you listener of the Emerald Tablet, uh, you are not without obscurity. And you probably have not yet reached the understanding of what the sense, what the sense, and how the world is made of, and how it works, and what is its goal. If you know exactly what is the goal of the text, uh, you will reach the understanding of the glory of the world. And, and of course, you will have the possibility to evolve uh, from your condition of obscurity. Then it continues uh, with the line, it is the power strong with all power, for it will defeat every subtle thing and penetrate every solid thing. In this way, the world was created. Yes. Um, this phrase brings bring us back to the idea that it was only a text about the creation of the world. But it's, of course it is. And 
it is not. So the power strong with all power is from an alchemical point of view, the philosopher's stone, from a spiritual point of view, it is total enlightenment. And of course, this total enlightenment will completely, because it has the power of the on high things, defeat every subtle things, because it has their, their power. And because it penetrated by, by its capacity to catch everything, all the powers from the below, it will penetrate every solid thing. Um, and because of this, uh, it has and it had the ability to create the world and the universe. But it, it is also able to create the Philosopher's Stone and, um, and being able to incarnate this power. Yeah, um, because you need power in order to, to create the whole universe. It's the power of all powers. Uh, that is the first emanation of everything. And because of the phrase, you know, as above, so below, it, it, it's another way of saying microcosm, macrocosm. So when it says in this way the world was created, it means, you know, how the universe was created. But it also means how small things were created that you are creating, like, you know, as above, so below. Yes, it's a fractal world. World, sorry. A fractal world. So... um Whatever the process, it's always the same power uh, behind it. And whatever the matter and whatever the subtlety and whatever the solidity, uh, it is always this one thing that penetrates it all and that has the ability by itself, for himself, to, to incarnate himself and to ascend from the material world up to the subtle world. So, so to speak, it's speaking about the creation of the world, but it's also telling us how the world was destructed. Because in a way, the beginning is exactly at the end, and the inside is exactly as the outside, and uh, above is like the below. So, so that's uh, the whole philosophy that is explained here. And, uh, of course, we can apply it for uh, philosophical um, meditations or we can apply it for uh, laboratory uh, uh, practices, more concrete. You know, science always, you know, one of the big goals of science is that they, they're chasing this dream of finding a theory of everything, one theory that explains everything, and they, they keep coming up with new uh, concepts of what that could be. But, you know, maybe the Emerald Tablet is the theory of everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, <clears throat> as an alchemist and hermetist, I tend to have proofs on my laboratory, and when I say laboratory, it's a very, very simple thing. Sometimes it's just the corner of a table. Uh, in my in my desk room, so I, I came to I can't come to conclusions that sometimes defy science. 
And uh, it's because we alchemists and hermetists use uh, the backstage of creation and we can see things very differently and we can see unity inside the matter because we can see it's, it's very simple we by the backstage we can see that all all the characters in the theater are all all characters and they are all playing roles uh, in order to make a story once you know the story that it, it begins and it ends and um, you know the scenario well you know that it's all fake and uh, everything works approximately on the same basis it's just a question of quality and quantity and um, so it's the one thing and yes uh, my my idea is that the emerald tablet has a serious weight on on the philosophical understanding and and even practical understanding of the of the one theory uh, that could explain it all. Because one thing that science is lacking is they reject anything that has to do with spiritual things. And religion rejects, you know, usually anything that has to do with science. But alchemy kind of uses both things and puts them together as, you know, they take the above the religion and the below the science maybe and put them together to get the one thing and the one theory absolutely and it's um this is a perfect perfect application and interpretation of the uh just the phrase before which is uh, it climbs from the earth and descends from the sky and receives the force of things superior and things inferior so it's exactly what just just said and uh, the application of this uh, specific law and uh, I completely agree with what you said and then it continues because it's not over yet <laughs> uh, it goes uh, from it are born wonderful adaptions of which the way here is given yes absolutely um, from it are born wonderful adaptations which means that... Yeah, sorry, adaptations. I think I said adaptions. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yes, wonderful adaptations. But here we are again confronted to adaptations. And maybe they are making references to the first adaptation coming out of the first chaos or the first uh, um, adaptation of the one thing uh, that was created at first and that gave birth to everything. But here, I don't know, I think that they are, because we are close to the end, my guess is that the wonderful adaptations is that because the power of all power is now on the earth, in the below, um, it can give again wonderful adaptation. And exactly like if, now the below was a kind of above for a new below, a new above for a new below. And uh, it could be like that again and again and again and again because the cycle is without end. And of which the way here is given, it means that yes, there is a way here given, a, a kind of recipe or a kind of process which is 
so to speak, clearly given, which is not exactly the case, of course, because you have to meditate a bit on it. But, well, it's still a bit clear for us. And then uh, the next line is, uh, that is why I have, I have been called Hermes Trismegistus, having the three parts of the universal philosophy. Yes. Um, so, again, here we are confronted to the, uh, to the idea that uh, Hermes Trismegistus is the writer of this emerald tablet. And um, Trismegistus means having the three parts of the universal philosophy. So, what are these three parts, could you ask? Um, at first, we need to define that uh, Hermes could be understood as the creator of alchemy or like a universal archetype of the alchemist. And Trismegistus, because it is the first part of the philosophy is, for example, the creation of the world, the process of life in the world, in the world, and the destruction of the world. Or it can be, like Hortulan said in his commentary, it is a mineral world, vegetable world, and animal world. So it's the three parts of the universal philosophy because they are the three kingdoms. Or we could say that it's the Honhai part philosophy, the middle part philosophy, and the below part of philosophy. And my guess is that it's more a three parts, a universal three parts that can be applied to everything and anything in this universe and this is why this universal philosophy. Yeah, like the like the Holy Trinity or salt, sulfur, mercury, or uh, you know, like we had an episode a while back about the colors of alchemy. You know, uh, white. Uh, no, I mean, uh, black, white, and red. Absolutely. So it is universal, and it is philosophy. So you can apply it to anything. Absolutely anything. So. Hermes Trismegistus means the Mercury of the three component of everything that is, and the three is the one as three and the three as one. So it's kind of a closed loop uh, of this of the mercury coming up and down and uh, making it changes and uh, receiving everything from uh, from everything and giving everything to everything so um, this is uh, this is the incarnation of yes the universal alchemist but also the universal life force uh, having its flux and having its uh, uh, having the parents like the sun and the mother and like the moon and uh, and having a belly like the wind and a receptacle like the earth and uh, but being part of it also and uh, being also himself so to speak as a quintessence the father of and the mother of the 
of its own mother and father uh, at a certain at a certain level because uh, you you need um, it needs at first to create something that could um, project himself into inferior realms so it's a bit complicated but uh, it's a closed loop at the end but what about you know that's that sentence usually is the reason why people say the emerald tablet was written by hermes but maybe it you know when he says hermes trismegistus you know it, it doesn't mean that uh, you know that's why I have been called. This is not the author is not saying his name, so maybe you know who is that I? Maybe it's just the metaphor completely, not for the name, but for you know many of the things you just said. So if if that is the case, then what you know the the word I? What is the I in that sentence? Is it the the stone? That is why the stone has been called Hermes Trismegistus, or is it that is why God? What what's the I? What do you think? I think that um, this I could be seen as as the fact that uh, this Hermes Trismegistus is more an inspiration given to someone that wrote it down and. Uh, it is like kind of philosophical archetype speaking, uh, not exactly a physical person. But um, it could also be seen as because as a human I have been able to understand everything that was stated in this tablet, I'm able now to be uh, called Hermes Trismegistus. And... Um, like a title, like a title, yes. Uh, now you have the the title of Hermes uh, Trismegistus, uh, but my guess is that it it can be real. Like now you are you are an adept, you are enlightened, and you are just manifesting uh, perfectly the power of all powers. Um, and now you are this this Hermes Trismegistus, which is a spirit, uh, so to speak having all the powers and it's being incarnated into you. So now you are uh, with this title, but this title refers to something higher, which is more universal and non-human and uh, not not even vegetable, not even mineral and uh, not specified, but specified with everything. And you know that if you specify something with everything, you specify it with nothing. So this is the complete and uh, universal Hermes Trismegistus, and it is the principal subject of this text, actually. And and if you sometime, if you listen back again this uh, podcast, um, you uh, listeners, you could maybe point out the places where I said life force or mercury or subtle things. And you can put Hermes Trismegistus uh, instead of these words, and it it fits perfectly. And also, you know, if the real author had put his real name there, it wouldn't have been as effective if he'd said, that is why I have been called 
uh, Bob Johnson, you know, <laughs> wouldn't have the same uh, power. Absolutely. So hello to Bob Johnson if he's uh, listening to us. Um, because I guess there is one in this world, Bob Johnson. <laughs> But yes, absolutely. It would not have been uh, exactly the, philosophy, the philosophical text that it is right now. Uh, Hermes Trismegistus is still a mystery for uh, for a lot of persons, and uh, it's only when you follow the the labyrinth of the emerald tablet that you can encounter it. But actually, it, it is uh, the Aryan uh, string that uh, can conduct you safely inside this labyrinth uh, on your alchemical. Uh, quest or philosophical quest and then the last line is uh, quite simple i guess uh, this that i have called the solar work is complete uh yes it's short effective very well seemingly clear and uh, some people could uh, say that it's uh, just a question of uh, interpretation But here, it, the end is is complete. So it means that as short as the emerald tablet is, the whole the whole thing is is explained at first. Uh, it is at first explained, and then inside this explanation, there is a process that complete the whole the whole goal of the universe. Uh, so it's just enormously huge, uh, and and we can be amazed that it could fit in just few lines like this. So this I is again Hermes Trismegistus speaking now, that I have called the solar work. So it is solar work, so to speak. Um, But the question is, uh, what kind of sun is it? Uh, question here. Is it exactly the same sun that was the father at the beginning? And because we we saw that uh, sometimes the father and the earth and the subtle and the everything is a bit mixed up because all the terms look like the same, but in the sense of the sentence, it's not exactly the same meaning. So right here, what kind of solar work are we talking about? Here we are, in my opinion, talking about the archetype of the sun more than the effectively the sun as a star. And it's more the archetype of the perfection and the archetype of um, source of light, because he was telling us that all obscurity would flee from us. So it means that against, not maybe not against, but if you reversed uh, obscurity, you would have light, and thus light, heat perfection and uh, immortality and life force all these qualities uh, are effectively solar by nature so 
he's telling us also that it's a work. And here we have the, maybe a clue that it can be spiritual work, like meditation, or laboratory work. And you have effectively uh, something to seek in nature that uh, makes it its cycle on the below and on the above and uh, having uh, the sun and the moon as parents and and maybe it's very very alchemical because it's a work oh yeah or maybe the, the idea of the work is the work of nature by itself and the, the idea of work is a kind of process or flux and uh, the normal uh, march of nature you know i mentioned earlier that uh, there's this uh, idea that uh, the pharaoh akhenaten gave the tablet to moses and uh, that maybe the emerald tablets was displayed in alexandria uh, the word alchemy you know uh, comes from an egyptian word and also in in fact the pharaoh akhenaten is he is credited with being the first person to you know, um, put monotheism into society. And uh, before that, usually there were many gods, but he was one of the first, if not the first, who actually said uh, there is only one god, and it's the sun. So, uh, you know, it's basically the first monotheistic world religion. And uh, so, you know, perhaps the, the Emerald Tablet has Egyptian origins because there's a lot of the the sun and all this stuff connected to it, maybe. And you you also said earlier that uh, the Emerald Tablet was monotheistic. That's why I, th- I thought that maybe because that pharaoh invented monotheism, uh, you know, could have something to do with it. Yes, exactly. So it could be an idea about uh, the, the origins uh, of this uh, very strange and very interesting text that we have here. And it's curious that such a text has been able to to go through all the periods of times of humanity and of the rise and fall of civilizations and still right now being uh, taken in such high esteem by philosophers, alchemists, uh, and and uh, it it means that there is power inside this text. There is mystery. There is something that is like a map to a treasure. And um, do you think it linguistically has power? I mean, you know, you have this uh, famous om sound you can make. And uh, you have different mantras like Hare Hare Krishna, and you know y- y- you chant these things to reach a certain state of mind. Do you think, like, by reading the Emerald Tablet over and over or saying it al- aloud, even though you might not understand fully what you're reading, that it could have some sort of effect? Uh, yes, M- my guess is yes, because if you if you read it, you are speaking like Hermes Trismegistus. And of course you are then having 
has a potential, the three parts of the universal philosophy. And if this text is still existing uh, right now in this century and being read and uh, being uh, manifested as true resins, emerald tablets, uh, like artifacts, it's because this text is translucent, so to speak, and able to be the vehicle of a superior force that is immortal. And it is a short text, but it could it could have been uh, completely uh, ignored. Uh, it could have fallen into uh, humanity's uh, subconscious and being buried deep, deep down. But it's not at all at all the tech the the fact. This text is still on the surface of humanity, and maybe living in subcultures. But the principles are so so universal, and speaking with such force and such power, because it's always a question of power in this text, that you will still find this text alive so to speak so yes if you say if you say this text aloud and if you are a bit sensitive to energies you can feel something and some people also adapted some some of these phrases in order to to make like the golden dawn style cross rosy cross that uh, begin and end every ritual uh, they did a kind of ritual out of this text, and um, and they connect inside the above and the below, and they connect themselves to the Hermes Trismegistus inside themselves, and it's I think it's a very good thing, and it it makes the, the text alive and being lived also, and it's very very important. Yeah, I think that's a good way to finish this episode. And uh, I think there was a lot of information. People might have to listen to it twice or uh, start their own studies because there's many ways also to interpret uh, the Emerald Tablet. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I guess that everyone has uh, its own vision of the world so they can read it differently. Yeah, so thank you a lot for taking the time to dissect this important text. Yes, it was kind of a vivisection, even. <laughs> but it was a very deep um, introspection uh, in order to to understand this text and to meditate on it. Uh, so much information that I, I don't even remember uh, everything that I said in this podcast, I must admit. And uh, I guess that when I will listen to it, I will discover things also. Uh, it's never ending. It's very small text, but so, so uh, just like a gate on the universal. So thank you. Thank you for the invitation and uh, the subject of this podcast that was uh, very interesting to, to research on and to speak about it. If you want to check out Salasius' book that he published this year or his blog, go to the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com 
for relevant links. Now we are going to close this episode with a chant of sorts, since we talked a bit about chanting the Emerald Tablet earlier on. And uh, the song is called Mahamantra from the self-titled album by Saman Vaya Kirtan. And to check out uh, their music, go to samanvayakirtan.com or samanvayakirtan.bandcamp.com And Samanvaya Kirtan is spelled S-A-M-A-N-V-A-Y-A K-I-R-T-A-N And uh, you can also find these links in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com And as usual, don't forget to follow this podcast on Twitter. The account is called Born Alchemist. And our Facebook page, which I hope you will click like on, is very easy to find. Just search on Facebook for Natural Born Alchemist. As above, so below. As without, so within. Freedom is in the mind. Krishna, Krishna, Krishna.